All right, so there it is, single for the Lord, single for the Lord. Now, you might be wondering, and, and someone raised this with me before the service, sort of thought that we were in a series on Colossians, and you were probably expecting to get to chapter 3, verse 18, to chapter 4, verse 1. And if you turn there, don't turn there, but if you turn there, the next section in Colossians is all about wives, husbands, children, parents, and slaves, and masters. I am going to preach on that section next week, but I wanted this morning to take this opportunity to address a particular section of people that are not mentioned in that passage, but they are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, namely singles. Singles. Now, I've never preached on this subject before, and so I'm deeply grateful this morning for those who have encouraged me to think through the topic in the light of Scripture. So let me make this fairly pertinent for BBC here this morning. These are approximate figures, but of, of people that would call BBC home, we have approximately 66 marrieds. By marrieds, I mean people that, uh, that, that are married, obviously, but they may or may not have children. And there are 40 singles, 40 singles. So if you do the mass of 172 adults, approximately 23% would be singles. And as you heard this morning, some of those singles are like Ashley. They've never been married. Um, some, uh, just have a look at the screen. Uh, some of those have, have, have never been married. Some of them are, are widowed or like we saw with, with Eric, uh, some are divorced or even separated, as you heard from Tracy. But let me add another couple of dynamics here that makes this fairly pertinent for us. To those of us who are married this morning, do you remember the time when you were single? We were all single at one time, and I think we can forget that. But this is super important. For those of us who are married this morning, Many of us are going to be single again. And that singleness will come through bereavement and it can come through other means like marriage breakdown, etc. There are also other forms of singleness even when you're married. For example, someone can be married but they are separated from their spouse because their spouse is in some sort of age care or some sort of place where they need to be cared for for various reasons. There's also another very, I'm just going to mention this, a very, another very painful category of being single but being married. And that is illustrated in the book by the Knot of Vipers by Francois Mauriac, uh, shared in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace?, he says this, he tells the story of an old man who spent decades of his marriage sleeping down the hall from his wife. A rift had opened up 30 years before when the husband, according to the wife, had not shown enough concern over the five-year-old child who had become sick. Now neither husband nor wife is willing to take the first step. Every night she waits for him to approach her. He waits for her to approach him but she does not appear, he does not appear. 
Neither will break the cycle that began some 30 years before. Neither will forgive. So just from this brief introduction, I hope that you can see this morning that this issue of singleness is broad, and I hope that you're going to see that it is highly pertinent and significant and relevant for us uh, within the family of God, which we have uh, been so wonderfully talking about, thinking about, praying about, singing about this morning. And thank you to the music team that have put this together for us. I want to start with my first heading, and I I'm not sure how many there are, but there's a, just be well, maybe two or three. Let's see if we can get that slide up, please. A damaged view of singleness. A damaged view of singleness. And let me see, maybe my clicker's not working. There we go. Uh, there's a damaged view of singleness that comes from the world. Uh, even a few decades back, I think it was. Uh, generally speaking, the world did consider marriage as the ideal. Even going a few decades back, the, the sort of worldly goal was to be married with children. And, and you know that with the onslaught of the sexual revolution, uh, marriage has lost somewhat of its appeal because in worldly eyes, sex and marriage simply do not go together. And therefore, to be single gives you this incredible opportunity and freedom to have multiple sexual partners without any, uh, without any commitment, without being constrained by any limitations. We could even say today that singleness has been somewhat embraced by the world, and there is certainly no pressure to marry. But I think, by and large, marriage is still the norm. And it is interesting to note that even within homosexuality, there is a strong desire for marriage, as has been seen by this drive to have same-sex marriage legalized. But as you are probably aware, being single and not having sex is completely outrageous from a worldly perspective. And so we've got to be aware of these, this, this damaging view of singleness. But that's just very brief. But there's also a, a, a distorted view of singleness that comes from the church. From the church. It's not as strong as it used to be, but I, I think the press... And generally speaking, in, in, in conservative evangelical circles, there is this, this pressure on singles to be married. And I think that was something that was alluded to by Ashley in our, in our little interview. I, I grew up as a, as a Christian, uh, saved at the age of 20. I grew up Christian-wise in a very a conservative evangelical church where the central goal of the Christian life was to be married and raise your kids using growing kids God's way. The stated and unstated view for Christians, even today, is that it's God's will for you to be married and have children if possible. What happens in these conversations is that to add it to this, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, these sort of things are said. The younger that you marry, the longer you will be married. And 
You have verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Well, you know, if you can't hold it together, uh, it is better to marry than burn with passion. For many Christian singles, there can be this sense that to be single is somehow less than God's ideal. It's sort of, you're somehow incomplete. Maybe, maybe even this idea that you're somehow less than Christian. But it's just not what the Bible teaches. It would take a long time for me this morning to unpack the whole of 1 Corinthians 7 and show you all the distorted views that the Corinthians had on marriage and single. But just have a look at this, and I think it comes up in 1 Corinthians 7, 38. I'm just going to handle this passage and portions of it very broadly. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. And so you've Behind all of this is also this distorted view in the Corinthian church. You know, which is better? Is it marriage better or single better? And maybe it's, you know, you're sort of more of a Christian if you're married and less of a Christian if you're single. And all that stuff was going on. And this whole passage is written to really clear up the damaged distortions in this particular church. But I want to flag the main issue, and here it is in verse 35. Here's really what Paul drives at, and I, I really want you to take hold of this. I'm, I'm saying this for your own good, verse 35, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what I want you to keep in mind. Ultimately, where we're going to land is, is that wherever we are, whatever state we're in, whether we're single or married, Ultimately, we, we, we want to be devoted to the Lord, but we, we need to understand that there are nuances of how that works out. So, have a look at verse 38 for, with me again as we have a look at a healthy view of singleness. Sort of really just touching on this passage. So, there it is. So, then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Now the most obvious thing to say from this is that to be married is good and to be single is good. Not necessarily better. It's not what Paul is getting at. To be married is good and single is good. There is nothing lesser than being single. Like somehow to be single is to be sinful. Or if you're not married yet and you haven't got the partner, well then somehow maybe God is holding that partner back from you for some sort of reason because you're doing something wrong. Marriage and singleness are both good. But what Paul wants us to understand is that devotion to the Lord is going to look different. It's going to look different. And you've got to understand that. If you said to me, Paul, what is the goal of my life? In the broadest possible term, it would be this. You are to be devoted to the Lord, right? In the broadest possible term, seek first the kingdom of God. But how you seek the kingdom and how you're devoted to the Lord is going to look a little different depending on whether you are married or single. 
And in light of this, I need to state the obvious, but the obvious is not always obvious. If singleness is good as marriage is good, then celibacy is good. You all know what celibacy is, right? If you don't know, ask your parents afterwards. Okay, celibacy is good. And it also means that if celibacy is good, it is possible in the power of God. And therefore, celibacy can be and should be a joyful experience. If you listen to the world these days, when it comes to this sort of thing, here's the sort of narrative that you're going to hear. Perhaps wouldn't come quite this way, but I think you'll get the gist. The world says something like, the singles will die without sex. Or certain body parts might explode if you don't have sex. Or you can't have intimacy without sex. But probably broadly and very accurately, sex is seen as something that you need like food and water and clothing. This is so warped. It is so damaging. I want you to listen to a quote by Sam Albury in this respect. Quote, The most fully human and complete person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. He never married. He was never in a romantic relationship and never had sex. If we say these things are intrinsic to human fulfillment, we are calling our Savior subhuman. End quote. Remember that the Apostle Paul himself was single. And it's also worth remembering this morning that marriage and sex is not ultimate because neither of those two things are going to take place in the new heavens and the new earth. In the new heavens and the new earth, we are simply going to be brothers and sisters. But I want you, if you've got your Bible and you can have a look at it, I want you to just zero in on verse 28 with me for a moment. But if you do not marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want you to spare you this. Look at that second half. There's where I want you to focus. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now look at that. Can you see that what Paul is saying, if I may use this word, there are certain advantages for being single. There are ups and bumps of being single, right? Right? There are ups and bumps when it comes to be married. And I think what Paul is saying, and I'll open up a little bit, is that the ups and the bumps and the bumps when it comes to marriage are just a little bit more difficult, complex, and challenging when you're married. Amen? We're not sure. Amen? Look at this. Look at verse 32. Just... I would like you, here's Paul's point, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man or woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs, affairs, how he or she can please the Lord. So I want to say to you, if you're in this category this morning of single, never been married, could I ask you after tea, Ashley and others, would you please go and have a conversation with a married person 
someone that is married or somebody that was married that's no longer married, and won't you ask them what it is like to be married? Ask them about some of the, the bumps. Marriage is often very difficult because even two Christians are saved what? They're saved sinners. And, 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 and never marrieds can have this sort of romanticized picture that married life is always wonderful, always bliss, always full of constant pleasure and intimacy. And all the marrieds are going, yeah, right. The, 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 the sort of heightened, elated emotions of engagement, as we all know, they're so wonderful, and they, they move into those early days of being married, but they can quickly fall away, and they can quickly be dampened as they go into the challenges of marriage. Here's Paul's point that I want you to get. Paul is saying that the advantage of being single is that a single can have a single Minded devotion to the Lord, which is not possible for marrieds. I'll explain that. Marriage, very simply, is much more complex. Because when you're married, you simply have, you have a very close amount of people that you have to be very, very concerned about all of the time. Isn't that true? So if you're married, with, if you're married your, your immediate attention is, is, is obviously your spouse. That, that's the way it's, it's meant to be. And, and, and when kids come along, then, and then, then the focus, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of focus and attention goes, goes there. And, and then there's the extended families and the, the mother-in-laws and all those sort of things going on. There is, for Christian singles, an undividedness which marrieds don't have. Paul is not saying it is therefore more honorable to be single. But the single has this opportunity to be more serving, if you like, more serving of those in the body of Christ and, and, and even reaching out to those who are not yet saved in a, in, a, in, a, in a perhaps a broader capacity, in a broader spectrum, in a broader availability which marrieds don't have. Let me make this practical and I'm very grateful to someone like Sam Aubrey who's actually the current PGP uh, speaker this year in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, he's a single man. He's uh, 40, 40 plus, never married. He's a Christian pastor. And he's also someone that has been open about his struggle with same-sex attraction. Singles in various categories can be available to serve in ways that marriage can't. So let me give you, make it practical. If someone was sick, and perhaps they were sick for an extended period of time, a single, and I'm talking generally, a single, generally speaking, can be of more personal encouragement 
and can perhaps be more available to, to, to come alongside and encourage more regularly, maybe more often than a Mary can. A single, whatever sort of season of life that is, is potentially much more available compared to marrieds, who are going to have their time restricted because they're married, particularly when they have small children. Singles have an opportunity, a potential, to be far more involved in ministries within the body of Christ. Because again, marrieds are needing to focus on spouse and children. A small example. I, uh, I have a son who plays in part of a soccer team, and uh, it's obviously seasonal in the sense that it's generally over two terms winter, and he plays on a Saturday morning, and it's very important that I'm there. It doesn't mean that I have to be there every single Saturday, but it's important that I'm there. He's my focus and my attention, and, 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 and I support him, etc., etc. Now, what that means over those two terms is that if there are ministries or needs or something going on within the body of Christ on a Saturday morning, I am generally just not that available. If something were to come up, and that got known, that need got known to the body of Christ as a whole, singles, potentially speaking, might be more available to meet that need on an ongoing basis than what I have in that space. But it changes. Let me give another one. You were praying and reading around Colossians chapter 4, and we were looking at prayerful a watchful prayer, and you were talking about that this morning, and let's just think about our prayer meetings for a moment. Now, we generally, with our prayer meetings, we have them here termly, and we'd sort of have them probably sort of supper timer-ish, you know, five to six or six to seven, something like that. And here's the practicality. If I am asking parents to come who've got small kids to come and pray, it's just not possible, is it? You, you, you can't have both parents coming and then your small children are at home alone. That's just not the way it works. At the very best, I can have one of the parents come and that, hopefully that should happen. And Hopefully that would happen more that one of them decide to come and the other one and maybe the next time it swaps over. But, but that's the way it should be. One needs to be at home there for the children. So uh, it's very, very practical. But I want to just swing this over a little bit because there's always a danger and, and it's a caution. It's very easy, though, on the other swing, isn't it, for singles to become very self-focused, maybe self-centered, maybe selfish, because it's sort of like, well, I'm free. I can do what I... I can do what I... I don't have the, I don't have the restrictions of marriage. That's not the point. I can do what I want, go where I want, go to what parties, go away, whatever. That is not what it's about. It's about serving the Lord. How best do you do that when you're single? How best do you do that when you're married? And a single just has opportunities and privileges that the marriages don't have. And it's, it's about, oh, wow. I just have more opportunity, maybe more time, maybe more availability to be involved in things that the marriage can't. That's, that's what body life looks like. 
That's what it looks like. Now I realize here I'm going to step onto a little bit of sacred ground. And um, don't take me out into the church grounds and stone me uh, in this one. But I think this uh, sort of selfish or self-focused sort of thinking can easily slip into the minds of Christian retirees. Christian retirees say things like, I've done my bit. I've served my time. I've done it. It's now time for the youngers, the younger ones, to do what they need to do. And there is this, it may, I don't think it's ever state, maybe stated as bluntly as this, but it can be that there is this sense that I get to retirement and it's time now to relax. It's time to take it easy. I've done my bit. And it all becomes about the freedom to go on the next holiday wherever it goes. It's not about that. How do I serve? How do I serve undividedly in retirement? How do I serve in marriage? How do I serve in singleness? Whether it's a never married, a widow, widower, divorcee, separated, whatever. Last point on, on, on that is, I, 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 I have to say it, and I know it's hard for me maybe to hear it and for me to say it, but what I, what I think some Christian retirees just don't understand is that when that mindset comes that it's just about the holiday or it's taking it easy or someone else has done it or they've done it, whatever, the body of Christ suffers. It suffers. Because the gifts and abilities are removed from the body. And the body doesn't function the way that it should. So singles and retirees in particular, I think, have a season of opportunity to be more available for certain kinds of service in the kingdom. Different kinds of service. Different type of availability compared to marrieds, marrieds with kids. Now, let me just add a little extra here. I, I hope that you have noticed, particularly if you've read the New Testament, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 with the gifts, etc., etc., is that the New Testament does not list singleness as a gift. What I mean by that is, there is this false assumption by some Christians to say, well, if I am to remain single and the Lord wants me to be single, that needs to be a true gift. Like I've got to get some sort of superpower gift from the Lord in order for that to take place. Let me see if I can show you something in the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 6. Paul writes, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. I just stop there for a moment. The gift there in verse 7 is not like the gift of preaching. It's not that sort of gift. You know, if you've got a gift of leadership, you've got a gift of 
preaching. You've got this gift of tongues or something like that. It's not that sort of gift. Let me quote Sam Albury again. He says this. He says, The gift in verse 7 is the state of being married or single. So what Paul is saying is that we as marrieds, we need to embrace our marriedness as something from God and good. And as singles, we need to embrace our singles as something from God and good. Clarity on that. It's not the ability to be married or single which is the gift. It's the, it's the state of being single or married. Does that make sense? It's not the ability. That's not what the gift is. It's the state. And so wherever you are, if you are single now, married now, those are both states. They are both gifts in that sense. And God has given you the ability to be single or to be married. And guess what? Those states may do what? Change. So if you're married, that is a gift. If you're single, that is a gift. Both may change. You're married now, you may be single later. You're single now, you may be married later. I think there is this, again, I'm talking more in Christian, conservative, perhaps conservative evangelical circles of which we're part, is that, that there is both a pressure... And sometimes this, this desire for singles, wherever state they're in, to get out of this singleness as quickly as possible. And again, you can sort of use the flimsy old uh, sort of uh, excuse, well, you know, I'm just not gifted for singleness, and such and such. I want to give you one more wonderful capacity that singles have, and it's, I'm just going to sort of be touching on it this morning. It needs to be expanded within the whole concept of body life and church life that we've been talking about. And, I'm, and I'm, this was really pointed out to me so helpfully by, by Sam Albury. He, he said, quote, Singles have a deep capacity for friendships with, without sexual intimacy, which marrieds often don't. So again, if we go back to this distorted world view, uh, the, the, the idea of deep friendship or deep intimacy without sex is just ridiculous because what the world has done, it's taken intimacy and sex and sort of collapsed them into one thing. You can have lots of sex and no intimacy. And you can have lots of intimacy without sex. Singles do have a capacity to cultivate deep friendships in a very different way to marrieds. So to all you singles out there at the moment, please do not think that the Apostle Paul was some sort of lone ranger with the superpower gift of singleness. And if you read the New Testament, and you particularly read Romans 16, I'm going to show that to you in a moment, you, you will notice that Paul formed very deep, personal, intimate, non-sexual relationships with many people. And what's beautiful in the passage, which I'm going to show you, is that he often did that with women as well. 
And if there is ever, ever a scripture, my brothers and sisters, that we have got to get right. And we've got to get this in the church, particularly in the light of all the sexual abuse and scandals and falling from grace of so many pastors. It's this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as he were, as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. What comes next? With absolute purity. Now, when it comes to this forming of deep personal relationships, non-sexually, and particularly when it goes from male to male and female to, to uh, male to male or male to female, whatever. Obviously, a great deal of wisdom and care and discernment is needed when cultivating that. But I want to suggest to you this morning that, that we, we, we need to recapture, as it were, a biblical view of friendship. Paul becomes a model for us, the apostle. Jesus becomes a model. You remember Jesus, don't you? He cultivated deep friendships with men. Twelve, closer, three. But don't forget there were many women that traveled with Jesus, looking after him, caring for his needs. You read the New Testament and you see this deep affection that Jesus has for people like Mary and Martha. When you look at Paul, he has this affection that comes through for, for many women who he calls friends or partners or co-workers or, or, or fellow workers in the kingdom of God. You might have read Romans 16 occasionally and thought it's the most boring chapter in the whole Bible because Paul does a sort of a, a, a high, and, high and hello to all his friends. But take a look at this. This is just one little snippet out of that chapter. Look who he greets. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear what? Friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and this is beautiful, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. I want you to look at this scripture. I'm going to give you a little biblical definition. Very simple of what, 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 what friendship is. And it's an insight that comes from the very words of Jesus. See if you can pick it up. I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus to his disciples. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And I want to give you one word to define friendship. With its friendship within marriage, with its friendship outside of marriage, they will have different contours, but the word is disclosure. Disclosure. 
Jesus calls his disciples friends because he has disclosed things to them. What has he disclosed? Himself. He's disclosed himself to them. And because to see Jesus is to see the Father, he discloses himself, he discloses the Father. Known and being known, that is the energy, the juice, the symmetry, the synergy of friendship. Known and being known. And I know how many of us sitting here this morning are absolutely petrified of really being known. We're so guarded. We've got walls around us all over the place. And our friendships genuinely in the church can be little more than Facebook. Now let me say a comment about Facebook. Facebook is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. But do realize that Facebook is a mere what? It's a mere touch point. It's a touch point to many people that we may consider friends. But touch point is not friendship. Because the one thing you should not do, and it's not appropriate to do it, is you do not disclose yourself on Facebook. And you know what happens? People that do notice the reactions that take place. Facebook is not the place for personal disclosure of your life. That is to be done in personal relationships, face-to-face, married but a wonderful capacity, privilege, opportunity for singles to do that. Before I wrap up, if you haven't done this for a while, and people used to get a little bit weird and freaked out about this one, is go and read about the friendship that King David had with Jonathan before he was married. It wasn't weird. It was beautiful. And I'll tell you something, go and read that. And the one thing you come away with is you had two men that shared their lives. The highs and the lows. And they were willing to lay down their lives for one another in a self-sacrificing, intimate, non-sexual friendship. And it is beautiful. That's why it's there. I'm not sure what my third heading is. All right, so here we go. Let me, uh, let me start to wrap it this way. I'll come back to that question. Oh, leave it there. A healthy view of church life. What does that look like then? A healthy view of church looks like awareness and cultivation. You've got to be aware. Now, let's go back to BBC. Very easy to just get this mindset that the church uh, mostly about marrieds, with or without kids. I mean, after all, 75% of our people are, 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 are married. And there is this lack of awareness that there are many others, many others that are single in various stages of, of, of life. There's got to be this awareness of that And then we have got to be this cultivation within that space. So, practically, what does that look like? It means that the homes of marrieds need to be open to to, to singles. I don't know how many times I've heard this, but quite frequently, something like this. A single, whether never divorced, 
widowed. They say something like, well, I, I don't really want to go and hang out with marriage because, and, and because I feel like a spare wheel. Church is a body. It's made up of marrieds and singles and all little bits in between. And we can have friendships with one another. Marriage with marrieds and marriage with singles and singles with marrieds. And, and then on the other hand, singles can get into this idea that singles only invite singles for lunch. Why is that? It's because the like attracts like. But it's not body, is it? It's not really an awareness that there's much more to the church than the other singles there. Singles can really have the privilege of getting to know marrieds and not always relying on the initiative of the marrieds to invite the singles. Let me try and pull this together this way. And I think here's the problem. And I hope this has become clear through the service, this message this morning. If I said to you what is the most emotionally drawn metaphor of the church in the Bible, what metaphor would you say it is? The most emotionally pulling one. It's the word? It's not the word body. It's the word family. We've used that word over and over and over. But when you think of family, what do, you, what do we naturally tend to go to? What do we think of when we think family? Husband and wife. We think married. We think husband, wife, and kids. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to family in the Bible, it's the most dominant metaphor, but the, 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 most, the most dominant feature is not husband and wife. It is not married with kids or without kids. It is brother and sister. That is it. There's one word. It's a Greek word called adelphoi. Adelphoi. Unfortunately, most of the translations interpret it in the male gender only. Brothers. 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 It should be brothers and sisters. That's the way it should be translated every single time. And hundreds of times, Adelphoi is used to describe the relationship between people within the body of Christ, a brother and a sister, who treat one another with dignity and respect and honor and purity. Absolute purity. So, let me give you some questions to ponder. I'm a little over time. This is the start of a conversation. And I hope that you're not just going to walk out of here now and go and have a quick cuppa and say, hi, I'm fine, and move on. Maybe there could be something of a, 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 a caveat into this. So here's a question. What distorted views of singleness do we have? What, what, what distorted views of singleness do you have? It's a very important question to ponder. Have you embraced your state of singleness or marriedness as a good gift from God. And can I just say again, for various reasons, that state changes, right? But have you embraced it? You single? As Ashley said this morning, she's embraced it to a 
to a greater degree, I think. A growing degree there. Beautiful. As a single, what steps are you taking to maximize your availability and usefulness to the Lord? And maybe I can throw in something of the Christian retirees in there as well. What steps are you taking to maximize your availability and usefulness to the Lord, to the kingdom, to the body, inside, outside the church? Here's a fourth one. Married singles, what deep friendships do you have that reflect a deepening disclosure of both parties? And I don't think I'd be wrong in saying that perhaps for many of us here, both married and singles, there's a great poverty of friendship in this space that we can look at, develop, and grow wisely as a brother and a sister. How beautiful. And then finally, marrieds, are we, do we have this awareness of singles in our church which is diverse? Never married, widow, widower, divorce, separated, and perhaps one or two other categories that I mentioned earlier. I want to ask you to do something. If, it's, it's, okay, it's just voluntary. You can just take this as you go. And maybe a tea and coffee is, if you're married and you, you get an opportunity to chat to a single, just what, whatever, find out what sort of single stage they're in, and ask them, just ask that same question, what, 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 what was it, what's it like for you, and how, how can we, can I encourage you, and maybe have a conversation like that, maybe you're a single here, and you really need to know the bumps of marriage, come and talk to me, because I'm the biggest problem in my marriage, so uh, that's the way it sorts, let me pray. <laughs> Father, you're, I, I think, Father, that this morning, it's just been a, a little taste, a little beautiful taste and window of family life. We've sort of, we've touched on it in song and prayer and interview and your word. And I just pray that you open up the vision of the body, not as husband and wife, but as brother and sister, with affection and care and love and, 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 and respect and honor, and that we'll We'll just cultivate that awareness in this space, in this body. Friendships, oh, take us on a journey, Father. Together, please, would you, would you do that? And uh, may, may it become an increasing joy to be part of this body because we're, we are attached. We are joined together by the Spirit in a brotherhood and a sisterhood that simply the world cannot know. The world does not know, but will be something that draws them to us as well. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.